Aloha and welcome to Conversations to Enlighten and Heal. I'm your host, KG Styles. I'm here to. Ah, ah. <laughs> All right, so uh, I'm here. I'm your host, KG Styles. Please, uh, uh, there will be a link um, after the show to click on to subscribe to my newsletter so you never miss a show of Conversations. So today I'm excited to be speaking with Kaylin Castell. Kaylin is a renowned shamanic astrologer and teacher and co-founder of the Shamanic Astrology Mystery School. Kaylin teaches live events as well as online classes worldwide. On today's show, Kaylin will talk about the new Venus cycle and how it will affect you. You'll learn about the entire 19-month Venus cycle with Leo overtones. After the show, Kaylin will stay on to answer your questions. The Q&A window is open, so please feel free to interact with, with us during the show. Just make sure it is on. <laughs> Let's see, Q&A. Yes. So, all right. So, after the show, as I said, Kaylin will stay on to answer your questions. So uh, please join me in welcoming to the show, Kaylin Castell. Thank you, KG. It's great to be here. And I'm always so excited to talk about the Venus cycle. And it's always fun when there's a new one getting ready to start. So um, I think we're going to have a great time. Uh, so did well, you want, have any questions that you want me to start with? Or do you just want me to jump in? Yes. Well, I, I do have questions. But I also you know, want, want you to get... You know, maybe you could just, maybe you're going to tell us this to begin with. So maybe you could just let us know what is the synodic cycle of Venus? So any, so any synodic cycle, uh, synod means with, or, you know, the synodic cycle means it's with the sun. So basically a synodic cycle is the whole time it takes for Venus to have, to repeat a play of any phase, come back to any point in the cycle. And, uh, Many cultures that um, the Sumerians, the Mayans, the the um, Celtic cultures, many many cultures around the planet worked with the synodic cycle of Venus. And in fact, we'll be talking about this: the story of Inanna, uh, and how she goes in. You know, she makes a descent into the underworld, and she has to release vestments as she's going, and then she's killed, and she dies, and then she's rescued and reborn and then she ascends back up and gets all of her vestments back that is actually a literal telling of the synodic cycle of venus what happens in venus's cycle and the and the sumerians literally reenacted that cycle every eight years as a whole cultural practice so uh we we began really uh looking at it from the shamanic astrology perspective daniel did a lot of research daniel demario who's the founder of the um Shamanic Astrology Paradigm. Uh, he um, started doing a lot of research back in the mid-90s and started understanding the synodic cycle of Venus and the relationship to the Anana story. So we started working with it at that time. And over the years, uh, I found myself doing more ceremonial work with the cycle and found it to be really powerful because this whole piece about how the Sumerians worked with it and they reenacted the cycle um, collectively every eight years kind of with some clues, like maybe this would be a good thing for us to work with ceremonially to not only empower ourselves personally, but also to help empower the, the greater collective and around the divine feminine. And we, of course, know 
that the divine feminine energy is really returning to the planet in a beautiful way right now. And so working with the new cycle is a way to participate with that. So it's very exciting um, and uh, something I just love sharing with people. So I'm very, very happy to be here to do that. Yes, I'm excited about the uh, this new feminine uh, cycle that we are headed into. It's like the return of the goddess and uh, balancing, a balancing that's happening now with the energies. So uh, no time like the present, if you ask me. So you want to go ahead and get started with yeah, your uh, slideshow and share my um, uh, yeah what I've got here for everybody because that's always helpful to have visuals I feel uh, so um, hopefully this will be helpful and also I just decided to add some fun facts and things about Venus but there is a new cycle uh, of, of Venus starting on August 22nd 2015 she will go retrograde on July 25th and and um, what what we what the ancient cultures did was they always started the cycle of Venus when Venus rose as a morning star was visible in the morning sky and when she rises up as a morning star she's still retrograde she's really bright and you cannot miss her it's like she just pops in super bright and brilliant so they st that's where they started the cycle so we'll be talking about that um, I'm also going to share a little bit and this is kind of an overview of what we're going to be looking at uh, the um, Earth's relationship to Venus why is Venus so important to the Earth, and there's some fun things about that. I'll talk a little bit more and show some things about ancient cultures and how they work with Venus. We'll also talk about the synodic cycle of Venus and, and how it relates to the story of Inanna. We'll go into a little more depth on that. We'll look at the Venus overtone, um, what's the, the greater uh, collective energy of each Venus cycle, uh, which is determined by the sign Venus is in when she rises as a morning star. And then we'll talk a little bit about the next Venus cycle. So that's kind of what I have in mind here. And I'm also happy to answer questions anytime, uh, KG. So just ask away um, if you need to do that. Well, there, there are definitely some questions I have. And we'll just kind of intersperse them with your presentation. All right. Sounds great. Okay. So just the first thing I thought would be fun to see is how Venus and the Earth are very similar. So Venus is about the same size as the Earth. And it appears to be about the same age and also a similar density and chemical composition. So I'm not going to linger on these points very long. I just want to give people a sense of how Venus and the Earth are similar. And actually, Venus is the closest planet to the Earth um, as well. Now, if we think, look at the different sizes, we can see how Venus and Earth are the same size. Look at the size of Mars in relationship to Earth and Venus. This kind of gives us a sense of that comparison. Then the other factor is that Venus is a mirror to the Earth, and even her symbol is in the shape of a mirror. So many times, um, so, you know, depending on who's looking at this, they'll say that Venus is like a sister planet to the, to the Earth. Uh, so here are some of the things that connect Earth or like create that mirroring effect. One of them is the fact that Venus rotates the opposite direction of the Earth. <laughs> uh, so you know, Earth is rotating. Um, um, clock counterclockwise and Venus is rotating clockwise. There, the um, oh, that's a jet going over. I'm sorry, I was hoping they would be quiet today, but I live near an Air Force base. <laughs> so, anyway, um, this particular Venus cycle uh, that uh, 
not this one, but the next one that will start in April of 2017, is part of an eight-year cycle that, sorry, <laughs> that's kind of loud, I realize, um, where the people that built Newgrange in Ireland we're tracking an eight-year Venus cycle that every eight years, Venus rises at the December solstice and lights the passage at Newgrange. You can see on the, the slide here that this is the light coming in through the um, window, lighting this passage. And at the de December solstice, the sun does that every year. But every eight years, Venus actually rises 20 minutes before the sun, illuminates this window, lights the passage, then it goes dark, and then the sun rises and relights the passage. And this was a big deal to them. They were definitely checking that out. So this gives us a hint that it was so important to them to have that connection to the eight-year Venus cycle that they built this structure to not only track the solstices, but also to track when um, Venus would be with the solstice sun. Um, also, this is just an image of a um, observatory um, that the Mayans built that was tracking the Venus cycle. And they had these viewing shafts where they could see Venus and they were looking for the northernmost and the southernmost positions. They were also looking at equinox sunsets. But what's really interesting is this staircase right here where this arrow is pointing is um, matches Venus setting at its northern, most northern position. And the whole building is on a diagonal with the solstices. So they were, you know, not just Venus, but of course tracking the seasonal cycles as well, uh, which is what the um, people who built Newgrange were doing because they were tracking Venus with the, with the uh, winter solstice or the December solstice. Also, the Mayans had something called the Dresden Codex. Um, could I? Uh, yeah. Are you supposed to be going through your slideshow show right now? Yeah, you're not seeing it? No. Uh -oh. We were seeing it when we were, uh, you want to, did you? go forward on your cursor I, and there I, you go now you're doing it okay well i've been I, yeah i've been doing it all along <laughs> well let me just go back real quick and did you have a i just picked up on you know i think she's supposed to be going through her slides while she's saying all this <laughs> right and you're staying on the first slide so do you want me to tell you uh when you're back to the second slide or well um the this is the okay so I did the overview, didn't see the overview. Great, so, great. Okay. great. I don't need to go through that again. But okay, can, great. Then, then I did the slide that talked about how Venus is the similar diameter of the Earth. And and are yes. you seeing these? Are you seeing yes, them? I am. I am. All right. So the, then the different sizes of Venus. I, I had put it on the slideshow. For some reason, it's not going to show it on the slideshow, so that's okay. <laughs> All right. So um, then... Um, the, uh, the different sizes of Venus, Earth, and Mars, and how Venus' symbol is shaped like a mirror. So you can see that yes. here in this slide, right? And then this is showing how Venus, uh, the Earth is spinning one way and the Venus is spinning the opposite direction, like a mirror to the Earth. Okay. And then I, um, I was talking about Newgrange, and this, this is the complex that was built. This thing is massive. And there's light that comes through this window up here every December solstice is the only time it's aligned so that the light lights the passageway. And this passageway is lit all the way back to an altar in the back of this space. So this big um, circle that they built here, it has different wings to it and so on, but there's an altar in the back where the sun comes and lights only at the December solstice. Uh, and then this so is coming, that's coming up in, a, in about right. a, a year and a half, the, the next cycle 
the one where Venus happens, where Venus comes, so, so every year, the so December solstice sun will light up that passage at Newgrange. But mm -hmm. in December 2017, Venus will be with um, the sun and rising 20 minutes before the sun. We won't see Venus, but she comes up before the sun lights the passage. Mm -hmm. It goes dark, and then the passage is relit. And this is the little window box that gets lit right here that you mm -hmm. can see in this picture. So this part of this whole new Grange pro um, um, project. And then I was showing this Mayan observatory of Venus. This is actually a Venus observatory, and they were tracking Venus as at her northern and southernmost positions, and uh, and and also tracking the equinoxes uh, and the solstices. And this staircase here um, below the the observatory is um, matching the northernmost position of Venus setting. Where so when Venus is uh, current, like currently would be in um, the sign of Cancer, Gem you know, late Gemini, early Cancer. That would be when Venus is setting at her more, most northern position, and they were they were tracking that. <laughs> it's kind of cool. Uh, they were also tracking the solstice because the uh, the way that the observatory is set up is on a diagonal with so the sun would be setting at um, on one side of the observatory at winter and on the other side at summer. So they were very uh, tuned in to that. Um, and let's see. Um, and, oh, and then I was, and I guess we st we've kind of left off at the Dresden Codex. So I hope that catches everybody else. So yes. Yes. Thank you for recapping. Oh yeah, totally. My pleasure. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> so the Dresden Codex it is one of only two that have really survived intact, uh, and it was um, tracking the Venus cycle. It was also doing the Moon as well, but it was really tracking the Venus cycle for thousands of years, down to like decimal points of days. They were so attuned to where Venus would be at what time. It was amazing. And this is some of the research that helped um, inform us around, you know, uh, that this information helps to let us know that that's, the Venus cycle was vital, very vital to their culture and to knowing when to do certain rituals. And, and there's a, you know, 260 day ritual cycle Venus is in the morning sky for about 260 days and in the evening sky for about 260 days. And that connects. What age? What age are we? When did this? Well, any, any cycle. No, any time. Um, that's happening now. I mean, that hasn't, hasn't. Yeah. I mean, it's, you know, it depends on when you start, when you, when you start tracking, but it's about 260 days. So it could be 263. It might be. Now I'm talking about the Dresden code. When was this first? Oh, it goes, it goes for thousands of years. Um, it goes and when into, did we when did when did it fall out of did it fall out of use? Is it still it, used? Well, they it was rediscovered. I don't know the exact date on that. Um, <clears throat> it was rediscovered, and they found that uh, it took them a while to be able to decode it and figure out what, it, what they were saying. But they found that they had they were tracking Venus cycles for thousands of years, well into our future um, as well. So, I was just wanting to get a feel for. When was this happening? When was this? Oh, when, you know, when, I hear it for was for thousands of years, but when did it fall out? When did it lose its importance? When did it fall out I, of being use? Oh, I think probably when the Spanish came is my guess. That okay. <laughs> you know that, and it might have been starting to fall out of importance then. But it was something that that was very important to them for a long time, and uh, and I think that they may have had ways of tuning into this without the codex. Uh, 
as well, because there's Mayan day keepers and people that still are attuned to this information. It's just we and the West didn't understand it till we could decode the codex. So anyway, um, something, some other facts to know about Venus and, and the Earth, and here you can see them again, they're very close to the same size. But it takes 243 days for Venus to make one full rotation. It only takes 24 hours for the Earth to do that. And then in 243 years, Venus will rotate 365 times. And of course, Earth rotates 365 times in one year. And then the really fascinating uh, fact, and you know, these are just numbers that connect up Venus and the Earth, that there are 243 years between Venus transits over the sun in the same area of the sky. And you may recall that in 2004 and, and 2012, we had Venus transits over the sun. And the one in 2012 was visible in the U.S. Um, a lot of it was visible in the U.S. And so, and then, um, but there's, you, you know, there can be 122 years in between or 105 years from one set of Venus transits over the sun to another. And they alternate where they are in the sky. So this is showing how in, you know, 1631, it was in De um, December, the Venus transit was uh, seven Sagittarius, and then in 1639, eight years later, it was a four Sagittarius. In 1761, it was at six Gemini, and so they alternate from December to June, December to June, Sagittarius to Gemini. Um, they're alternating. And then, um, and then in 2004, we had it at eight Gemini, and then in 2012, it was at six Gemini. But if you look at 1769 and to 2012, that's 243 years. And they're, they're only three, de three degrees difference between them. And from 1761 to 2004 is only two degrees difference. And that's kind of rounded up. So anyway, um, it will be 2117 before there is another Venus transit. It'll be in the opposite part of the sky of what we experienced. So there was some major activation that took place in 2004 and 2012 when Venus, and here's this little picture here of the sun with the little dot of Venus going across the face of the sun. Um, it was amazing. We had a big event in Hawaii where people got to uh, experience and we watched for many hours the whole transit of, of Venus across the sun. It was really spectacular and a, a very special time to tune into. And we're still, you know, we don't know exactly what got energized or activated in that point, but, um, you know, it's still being revealed, you know, as, as we go through time. And that was really only three years ago <laughs> that that happened. So it'll be interesting to see how it continues. And the Mayans felt that the Venus passages over the sun were extremely important to pay attention to. And oftentimes it represented a time when um, regimes would change, new people would come into power, um, or, you know, a new power structure would happen. So, you know, that's something that got initiated and activated in 2012. So it'll be interesting to see what actually happens. Mm -hmm. with that. So any questions so far, KG? No, it's fascinating. All right. Yes, it's, I love yeah. this. <laughs> Can you tell? Anyway, so um, the Venus cycle is about, is 584 days point something, something, something. You know, like the Mayans had it calculated down to like tenths of, of a day, but we just use the round number of 584 days. That is about a year and a half or 1.6 years. It's really 18 and a half to 19 months that it takes. And when we look at how the Earth goes around the sun in 365 days, but Venus from a starting point, any one starting point with the sun from the Earth's perspective, we see a 584-day cycle. So um, just something to be conscious of, something to be aware of.
And then as Venus is making its path around the sun, every um, year and a half or so, 19 months or so, Venus rises as a morning star. And she does that five times in eight years. So five times Venus rises as a morning star. It's called the heliacal rise of Venus. And it's forming a perfect pentagram in the sky because she's rising in different places each time. And it, it, it's just tracing out this pentagram. And of course, we know that the pentagram has long been a symbol associated with the goddess, so uh, the divine feminine. And that's really where that imagery originally comes from is the Venus cycle. And, you know, we sort of forgot. So now we're just helping to remember that. So this is actually where the Venus right, heliacal rises are happening right now. So um, in uh, June of 2012, um, we had a heliacal rise of Venus, uh, June 12th at 12 Gemini. And then on June 10th of 2020, there'll be another one. So there, it's, all, it's all, usually it's shifting like a couple of days each time. Then on January 17th of 2014, Venus rose as a morning star at 18 Capricorn. And then on January 15th of 2022, she'll rise as a morning star on uh, at 15 Capricorn. You can see it's a, a couple of days difference there. But what's really, okay. so we're in the tail end of Capricorn. What? 15 degrees Capricorn. Yes, yes. Yeah, so it's just shifting slightly each time. So, it, you know, that pentagram is actually moving backwards through the backdrop of the stars. It's shifting backwards just slightly each time. And it takes about 1260 years for the pentagram to make one entire circle. So that was something that they also figured out from the Dresden Codex. Anyway, so we're in the tail end of this Capricorn cycle right now. And, that, and then the new cycle will begin on August 22nd, 2015, when Venus rises as a morning star at 19 Leo. So five synodic cycles or five heliacal rises of Venus every about year and a half or so equals eight years. So that means that on your birthday, when you're turning a multiple of eight, 16, 24, 32, 40, 48, 56, 64, 72, 80, 88, 96. If you're, you know, if you're turning a multiple of that, if you look at a chart, anybody's uh, chart, Venus will be very close to where she was when you were born within a couple of days, because uh, it does shift a little bit, but it's really, really close. So that's meaning that she's returning to the same place she was in the sky with the sun at your birthday. Very important cycles. That, um, that we are connected to. Now, something else to just realize is that it's not just a, the time of your birthday when Venus is coming back at that eight-year point. It's the whole entire cycle from the heliacal rise. So say, for example, you turned a multiple of eight from January 17th to um, August 21st, January 17th of 2014 to August 21st of 2015, then your birthday, that would have been that multiple of eight, whether it was in 2014 or 2015, means that you are um, having your Venus return at that time. But the whole entire cycle is a ceremonial um, a way to engage ceremonially and to empower your life with the understanding, which we're going to talk about a little bit more in a moment, of why it can be really important to work with this uh, for yourself personally, but also in a collective way, um, something that we've been doing more of over this last, um, oh, actually starting with this last cycle. So, um, so that's pretty exciting. Oh, and I realized that I, um, 
I haven't, I didn't finish this slide. <laughs> Just not realize that. There are two Morningstar occultations in this next cycle. One will be December 8th and another will be December 7th. And what that means, and these images here are showing you that the moon is in a direct line with Venus. So it's going to, it's just going to cross right over Venus. So Venus is occulted or like an eclipse. It's like, it's going to uh, um, be visible. Then the moon will cross over it. Then it will become visible again. And these, these are accelerating points like an eclipse. Eclipses kind of accelerate the energy of whatever is being um, held in intention at that time. So October 8th and December 7th, well, this will happen. It's also going to happen on July 19th of this year, but it's in the evening sky and probably not so visible um, because I think the sun, um, I don't, I think the occultation is happening before the sunset. So it's not going to be so easy to see, but um, some places on the planet will be able to see it. But again, we still feel the effects of the fact that there's this occultation. And the thing that's exciting about the December 7th one is it is visible in North and Central America. So and that is close to when we have the last square between, well, it's, it's within one degree. I mean, it's, they'll be further apart. This is probably the Uranus-Pluto square is right about. Right. Well, we had the last, we had the last exact one in March, it, but they're yeah. to separate out a little bit more. And they're, they're yes. yeah. Yeah. So they're kind of at play here too. Interesting yeah. enough. Yeah. So, um, so what, was the, what was the fourth occultation? I saw three there. What was the three. fourth There's one? All, I, did I say four? I meant three. It says there are four moon, Venus occultations. Oh, that's why. Yes, I only saw three I, dates. So there's only three. three. There's three. Okay. Okay. And, um, I, that's why I said I didn't finish this slide because I meant to put in evening star, July 19th, 2014. And, and to correct this, cause I had a different, this was for a different year when I originally made the slide. So okay. I just, I missed correcting it. Sorry about that. Okay. <laughs> All right. So, um, when Venus rises as a morning star and begins a new cycle, 584 days, cause it'll be 584 days before she rises as a morning star. Again, the sign she is in, I've mentioned this before is the sign of the overtone, meaning that that is the, archetype of the feminine being integrated into the collective psyche of humanity for that full 584 days. So there's just one primary archetype. Of course, Venus goes through all these different signs and phases and you know, she has a very um, complex cycle that we can tune into, but just to know what's the overarching theme or, you know, of the divine feminine at this particular time. We've had a tremendous time uh, I've been working with a woman named Tammy Brunk to uh, do a ceremony. We've been doing a Venus teleclass series to, to uh, help people when, in their personal Venus return, but also to create a collective, kind of like the Sumerians did, a collective ceremony for the Venus cycle. And we'll be doing it starting with the next cycle as well. But we started this last year and have every Venus um, point where there's significant things happening, we've been doing these um, teleclasses and ceremony and helping people get tuned into that. So it's been really phenomenal. And, um, and you know, we've been working with Capricorn from the shamanic astrology perspective. This is the, the queen bee, the wise one, and also the circle of grandmothers. Uh, so we feel like the circle of grandmothers really um, spoke to us to create this class um, because they wanted people to really connect into this new understanding or this um, more expanded understanding of, of Capricorn as being the grandmothers. And what's interesting, and here we are at the 1st of July, when the United States Constitution was written, 
they actually based it on the um, constitution of the Iroquois Confederacy. And the Iroquois told them and that when they um, were uh, um, writing this constitution, that the, the one thing that they must not leave out, and you know, the, all of the many great things of our constitution do come from theirs, but one of the things they must not leave out was the circle of grandmothers, that no decisions are made without their approval. And of course, guess what they left out? <laughs> so it's really great that they're, that the, this awareness of the grandmothers and their wisdom and how they can help guide us is coming back. And, and we've really worked with that a lot through this last Venus cycle. And we'll continue. We feel like the overtone Venus and Capricorn is the sort of master cycle at this time because it's when Venus is rising closest to the December solstice and the December solstice is on the galactic cross. That can only happen every 26,000 years. So this is like the end and beginning of a 26,000 year cycle. And so this Venus cycle with the Capricorn overtone is really significant um, for us collectively at this particular time. And we're in the last weeks of the synthesis of this particular cycle. Uh, last month, Venus retrieved her crown, um, you know, the vestment that has to do with her crown. I'll, I'll tell you about that a little bit more in a moment. You know, so, the grandmother, grandmother, go ahead. The grandmother, um, the higher self, the angelic the self, uh, oversoul, you know, there are different names for it. One of the names has been the grandmother. Yes. Uh, yes. And uh, we actually lived on this uh, ancient healing grounds uh, in the Southern California, and it was called Madre Grande. It was uh, the grandmother which was a sacred healing grounds. There was never any, it was just where people, they would come for ritual enactments and just different ceremonies and rituals for, you know, ascending to new levels, coming of age, things like that. I just That's thought that was kind of interesting. I think that is a motif that ha has been alive in a lot with a lot of indigenous Culture. Yes. Oh, oh, absolutely. And you know, I think in, in our in our maybe greater, more global culture, this last the, as this Venus cycle has been unfolding, there's been a lot more of that um, coming into people's awareness as well. And uh, and you know, not that it hasn't been coming into awareness before this, but um, it was. It's been really remarkable, and we've had so much magic and people having such powerful transformative experiences working with the cycle with. The, and, and you know, bringing in the imagery and the connection to the circle of grandmothers. So um, it's very exciting. And we're really excited about the next overtone, Leo. So when Venus rises as a morning star on August 22nd, she'll begin her new journey that will last 584 days as the Leo goddess. And this is about the divine sovereign queen. Um, and so where she doesn't give herself away <laughs> to, to what the, it is she thinks she's supposed to be doing, but really being in touch with what she knows is who she is and how she can stand in that strength and power. Uh, and um, interestingly, uh, this is also connected very much to Sekhmet, uh, who is the lion-headed goddess, and um, who is also a very powerful imagery uh, of that and being the sovereign queen. So we're actually going to lead a group to the Sekhmet Temple in Nevada as um, right after Venus rises as a morning star to connect in with her and just to see, you know, what information we um, are can gather about this cycle and, and how to work with it very consciously. Um, 
so that's that's kind of exciting. We, we don't have all the details of that together yet, but we will be. I'll you know people want to connect with us, and I'll give information about how to do that. They can find out more about that as we go. So um, I'm just going to kind of give an overview of the the cycle for those people who are interested at how this works, and uh, um, and then we'll be um, looking at the a little bit at the next cycle. To, uh, bringing in the story of Anon into this whole thing, and um, uh, and then also how you can know if you're in a Venus return or not. So um, the uh, what happens is Venus begins um, her cycle. She she goes retrograde. Actually, she goes retrograde on July 25th. She'll conjunct the Sun in early August, and then she'll rise up and hit. This is the horizon line. Like if we think of. Uh, you know, the, the, her rising is a morning star. This side of the um, the image is the morning sky, and then this side is the evening sky. So she rises up as a morning star. And I didn't put in all the seven or eight conjunctions that Venus makes with the moon, but she will spend about 260 days in the morning sky. She'll drop below the horizon, conjunct the sun again, and there she is for about 60 days to 90 days. And then she rises up in the evening sky, makes seven or eight conjunctions with the moon goes retrograde, drops below the horizon, conjuncts the sun, and reappears in the morning sky. So that's basically how it works. So she's she's got her phase of morning star, her phase of underworld, meaning she's not visible, we don't see her, and then she's got her um, time as evening star, which is where she's at right now in the cycle. So this is kind of just the, um, the uh, me saying that again, let me just move on to this slide. So let's just, how do we connect this to the the Anana story, um, Anana passing through the seven gates. And this is also, it's not just Anana, it's Ishtar as well. The Babylonians and Sumerians basically had the same story, just a different name for the goddess. And um, what happens is that Anana is in the in the great above, you know, and uh, in, the, in the translation of the Sumerian text, they say she puts her ear to the great below. And she hears the call to go to the underworld. And there's different reasons uh, based on who's translating the story or telling the story of why she goes. But one of the versions of the story is that she's going to attend the funeral of her sister, Ereshkigal, who's queen of the underworld's husband who has died. And he is Gulagana, the great bull of heaven, which is also telling the story of the end of the matriarchy and the end of the age of Taurus, uh, the age of the bull interestingly. Um, and so she uh, she gets all dressed up in all her ceremonial regalia, puts on her crown, gets her rod and staff, has her robe and her breastplate and her necklace and her, you know, rings and her um, waist belt. And, um, you know, she's got all these vestments or and they represent symbols for each of the chakra gates. And when she arrives at the first gate, she's told that she can't pass through the gate unless she gives up her crown. You know, like one, she has to give up a vestment at each gate and there's seven or eight gates leading into the underworld. And so she has to give up something at each gate. And it's a symbolizing her releasing any distortions or, you know, things that are unhealthy or not connected to that particular chakra gate. Um, and so the first thing she gives up is her crown and that is her connection to the divine you know, her, uh, her knowing her, her divinity and her and that connection to the divine. And then, at, you know, she goes to, to the next gate and that's where she has to release her measuring rod and staff and that's her connection to her um, 
um, ability, third eye, ability to see and to connect with magic and those kinds of things. And then, then the throat chakra and the heart chakra and the solar plexus. And at each gate, it's like she is releasing any distortions that are connected to that. Maybe where she doesn't speak her truth or she's not living authentically or, you know, she's not standing in her power. Or she's giving her power away or she's trying to have power over others. Any kind of distortions that are connected with those particular chakras. Then she is in the underworld for about two and a half to three months. And um, she... Uh, and, and these gates, these Venus gates happen when the moon, which is like a little crescent, silver crescent boat, like a little boat, comes to connect with Venus. And that represents her moving through the next gate. And then the month later, there's a next gate. And then the month later, there's a next gate. So it takes time for her to go through all these gates down into the underworld. And she's not seen because she's traveling with the sun from anywhere from two and a half to three months. And um, so that's that was the time in the story when Anana reaches the underworld, she's said to be stripped naked and bare. Uh, and she goes before her sister, Ereshkigal, uh, before her throne, and Ereshkigal kills her, hangs her up on a meat hook, leaves her there as dead. And this is partly because she's very jealous <laughs> of, um, of Inanna, and she's also really upset and still in mourning for her husband, and uh, the way that the story is told. But, um, when Anana went into the underworld, she knew that it might not be safe for her. So she talked to the planet Mercury, also known as Ninshavar, her, um, her right-hand person, and said, if I don't come back, send help. <laughs> Get me out of here. <laughs> Get me out of here. <laughs> which, is not, which is really smart. Anytime you're going to do a shamanic journey, you want to have somebody holding space for you to come back. Uh, you don't want to get lost in the underworld or, you know, in other realms and dimensions. You want somebody holding space for you. So when Anana doesn't come back, Ninshavar, Mercury, which is a very fast planet, goes and visits all these other planets, which are representative of, like, Jupiter, Saturn, you know, Enki. Um, it, uh, not, she goes to the moon god, who doesn't want to help. And most of them say, well, no, we can't interfere with the ways of the underworld. But finally, Enki says, okay, I'll help. And so he creates these little beings out of the dirt from under his fingernails, the, Gugar, the uh, Galatur and the Kragara, gives them the food of life and the water of life, sends them into the underworld and says, and gives them instructions on how to get Anana back. So they walk right in because nobody notices them. And basically uh, they find Ereshkigal, or Rashkigal, there's two ways of pronouncing it, um, in uh, the throes of labor. So we don't know if she's actually giving birth or she's in mourning, you know, different stories have different ways of talking about it, but she's, you know, in the Sumerian translation, it says, oh, oh, my insides, and oh, oh, my outsides. <laughs> um, and then she's complaining and, and um, unhappy about how it's really unfair that I'm stuck here in the underworld, and Anana gets to be queen of heaven, and, you know, my husband's died, now I'm having this baby, and I don't know what I'm going to do, and she's just, like, really moaning and groaning about her situation. And so these little beings... Uh, find her in this situation and they say to her, you're right, it's not there. You, you know, this is really sucks for you, <laughs> basically. And she's surprised because she's used to people just saying, you know, you get to be queen of something, you should be grateful. Or, you know, um, it's really not so bad or you just need to get over it and move on. And so they reflect back to her, her pain. And this heals her. So when she, and she's so surprised. You know, and she's so grateful. So she says to them, I want to give you a gift. And she names all these different gifts that she could give them. 
And they, um, they're all, they say, nope, 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 none of that, none of that. Finally, she runs out of ideas and she says, okay, I want to give you something. What can I give you? And of course, they say, we want a non-a-back. So then they get a non-a-back. And, uh, but some, if, once somebody's in the underworld, they can't leave without sending somebody to replace them. So um, they, Anana gets to return and she goes back through the seven gates, but there are these demons or daemons that go with her because they have to take somebody to replace her and she has to choose that person. Um, but at each gate, as she goes back through each gate, she gets the vestment back that she had to give up, which is like reclaiming a healthy relationship with that chakra energy. It's pretty cool. And then, um, and then she'll go, you know, once she goes through all the gates, she'll, she'll go retrograde, she'll meet with the sun again, and rises morning star, and the cycle starts all over. So this is what the Sumerians were doing. They were, um, you know, they were tracking this particular cycle. Very amazing um, story that was, that was really relevant to them at that time. So what we've been doing is looking at how to work with the ceremonially, work with each of the chakras at each of those points, either as releasing or reclaiming. Also, there's a whole period in the underworld where we you know, work with um, mourning the things that we've lost um, and, you know, and being in an underworld process. And uh, uh, it, the people that were in our um, Venus Tale class series had profound experiences in every phase of this journey. It's been just so fun, wonderful to watch. And, and they, you know, we have a Facebook page where they've been posting and, and everybody's so supportive. It's been it's like the most amazing Venus cycle. And I've worked with lots of them over the years. This has been the most amazing with this whole community um, engaged with the ceremony, um, ceremonially engaging each phase of this Venus cycle has been profound. So what I want to share with you now is this um, is if you, you can probably hopefully read this clearly on your screen. If you were born, between the, these dates, like September 12, 1943 to April 22, 1945, or September 10, 1951 to April 20, 1953, and it goes on, if you were born between those dates, you are in a Venus return, or you are going to start a Venus return on August 22, 2015, and it will last until March 31st of 2017. So that means you're in the Venus return that happens every eight years near your birthday. So um, it may not, you know, you may be born late in the cycle. You're either a morning star person, you're maybe an underworld person, or you're an evening star person. Uh, you may have Venus retrograde in the morning sky or the evening sky or in the underworld. So there's three places where Venus can be in its retrograde. Uh, and all those things have meaning and significance and are worth noting and understanding about where you are in the story. Uh, if you're a morning star, you might be born at you know, one of the chakra gates, maybe it's the third chakra gate or, um, you know, the fifth chakra gate. It, it, it can be anywhere within that story. And so knowing that oftentimes what we have found is that people will really resonate with uh, that, you know, maybe having challenges or having had to reclaim um, a healthy relationship with that particular chakra, if that was the gate that they were born into in the Venus cycle. Uh, so I think I'll just pause here for a moment and see, um, KG, if you have any questions you want to ask me. Oh, that, I, I just love the story that you're telling us. So uh, my <laughs> my imagination is just going all over the place. So, uh, <laughs> so when Venus, you know, right now she's come she's come out of the underworld, right? When did she come out yes. of the underworld? 
did in December of uh, 2014, and so and she made her first conjunction with the moon towards the end of December. Okay. So that that was her, and, and so as she comes out of the underworld, she rises up into the evening sky, and then the moon comes along to be with her. And as, of course, it's a waxing moon. This is one of the things I think is so brilliant about the cycle. In the morning sky, she's met by the waning moon, waning crescent moon, right before a new moon. And in the evening sky, she's met by the waxing crescent moon right after the new moon. Um, so in the morning sky, she's releasing and letting go, which is so what's going on with the moon cycle. And in the evening sky, she's reclaiming, regaining, and, you know, um, uh, which is so what's going on, you know, the, the waxing moon gaining light. So uh, the waning moon is least releasing light and the waxing moon is gaining light. So it's like this perfect way that the cycle acts and, and uh, manifests for us. <laughs> so great. Okay, so when does she go back into the underworld? Well, so she is, um, I, I, I don't have the exact, I should have probably had this exact dates and stuff here in front of me, but she uh, goes retrograde on the 25th and it's early August. Let me just see if I can find here. Um, where she is, um, or mid-August, somewhere in there, where she's going to be conjunct the sun. And she's only gone at, when she's retrograde because she's between the earth and the sun. It's only like seven or eight days. And uh, sometimes it's actually as short as three days that she's not visible as she's shifting from evening sky to morning sky. And that's going to happen around the 15th of August when she's conjunct the sun, a 15 Leo. And then um, she will um, uh, rise up a few, a few days later, uh, two or three days later. Um, well, from the 15th to the 22nd is about a week. So she'll be coming up into the evening sky. Um, we use a 10 degree orb to try to determine that, you know, because different Venus cycles have a different amount of time they're actually in the underworld when she's retrograde. Some are shorter, some are longer. So we use a 10 degree orb. When Venus is 10 degrees away from the sun, she's going to be visible in the morning sky. So it's kind of a ceremonial um, using those degrees, you know, to get, get that sense of when she's rising up to start the new cycle. And then when does she go for the longest period in the underworld is? Well, she won't do that until um, next year. Uh, um, so there'll be, after she rises up and goes direct, which is in early September, um, that she goes direct around the uh, 5th or 6th of September, mm -hmm. then the first moon conjunction after she has gone direct, and that'll be happening um, uh, just a few days later, around the 9th of, um, of September, uh, will be the first gate. And that's where she will release her crown, where, you know, like when she gets to the gate, the gate says to her, you know, to, to pass through this gate, you have to give me your crown. And she's like, what? And he says, you know, don't question the ways of the underworld. <laughs> you know, just do it. And, you know, so that's, that's the way the story is told. But we could imagine yeah. we might tell it a little bit. And then, that, then she's in the, so she goes through this process of releasing these gates for, for pretty much the entire cycle. For seven or eight months. So, yeah. you know, starting in uh, September. So, um uh, September, October, November, December, January, February, and then there will be an eighth gate in March. So then after that, she'll disappear into the underworld next year and okay. be gone for um, two or three months. And then she'll reappear uh, usually around, it'll probably be in July or August. It's usually in the same sign that she rose up as a morning star in, uh, which is another cool 
feature of the of the Venus cycle. So what so, is her what is her what is she what sign is she rising up? Leo morning star. It'll be it'll be Leo on August. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So that and that I, I was thinking of the first gate. The first gate. She's actually in Virgo. Actually, she's still in Leo because she because she's September around 15, September 14 degrees. So um, around September. Uh, ninth or tenth, she's still in Leo. Oh, she, yeah, she doesn't go into Virgo until like October. She didn't get out of her shadow yeah, until October. Yeah, That's right. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. 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 So, uh, so and then and then that that would be probably right around the time she goes to the second gate. And he, and actually, what's really fascinating about this particular cycle, as we've been completing it, Jupiter's been with her, and of course, the closest conjunction lasts ninth is early this morning and they'll still be really close together tonight yeah but i understand through the whole month of yeah. um, of of july into october uh, august 4th they're making another exact conjunction and then in early october um uh, or mid to october i don't remember the exact date uh october 25th later october this when they're making their third exact conjunction because of the retrograde mm -hmm. uh, this will actually be passing or with Jupiter three times. And that's not usual. This doesn't yes. always happen. And I understand that it's been, this is the closest they've been in conjunction for, for over a thousand years or something. Yes. It's, you know, it's very unusual that they're so close. And not only that, on the solstice this year, just a couple weeks ago, or less than two weeks ago, Venus and the moon and Jupiter were Oh, I saw that, yes. Yeah, that was gorgeous. At the December sol I mean, at the June solstice, at the summer solstice in the northern yeah. hemisphere. So that hasn't happened in a really long time as well. And then, on not only that, they're going to be really close together when they make their um, second conjunction on August fourth. They're going to be with Regulus, the star Regulus. Yes, yes. So, I think that's interesting. I wanted to ask about that. I wanted you to comment on Venus retrograding exactly conjunct the fixed star regulus what significance do you Just from like, your shamanic perspective have yeah. about that thank you for asking that and i um one of the things that is helpful for people to know is that ancient people would take time to go out and be under the sky and tune in and, and you know visually connect with them when they could or you know do shamanic journeying or meditation or something that would get them connected into these energies because they and also they would be doing ceremony with their own intentions because of course we inform the mysteries as much as they inform us. So what we're holding in intention in connection with these kinds of things that are happening in the sky um, helps to uh, magnify our intention and it also helps to bring the uh, into manifestation the intention of the planets as they come together. So it's a relationship that we've forgotten how to do but the ancient people knew it and they, that's why they built these structures to track these cycles, you know, to be tuned into that and, and or had these ceremonies like the Sumerians did um, collectively with the, with the um, Venus cycle or whatever was going on. So this one is ending with this huge Jupiter-Venus thing with, uh, with Regulus and then the new one begins with that also going on. Venus is going to be with Regulus as she goes retrograde, exactly, with Regulus as she goes retrograde. Jupiter is going to um, be close by. Um, and Regulus is the heart of the lion constellation. Mm -hmm. The heart And star. it's now progressed over into Virgo, which is, I mean, it used to be in Leo, right? Right. right. Yeah. And, it, and, and so now it's, a, I mean, that in itself 
it seems to me symbolically this shift of leadership to more of a servant well role. That you see, I mean, because Virgo is very much about healing and yes. being service and self and, and honoring the sacred. So yes. um, uh, the uh, we could say that the original codes, light codes, of of the King Queen archetype, which is Leo, um, and 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 you know, being next door to Virgo was was to be in service to hold the light energy for people, and and Regulus, the heart of the lion. Uh, and it's a Bohemian star. So the Bohemian stars are the magical stars of the ancient alchemists who, when planets were near Regulus or any one of the other 14 um, Bohemian stars or magical stars, that's when they would do their, their biggest ceremonies, make their elixirs, their talismans, their potions, that kind of thing. So not only do we have Venus passing Regulus three times in a retrograde, but Jupiter's also there and they're there together. So, um, so with when planets were within six degrees of a Bohemian star, that was when they would be doing these ceremonies. And then on in the middle of July, July eighteenth, the moon's going to be there with all with Jupiter, with Venus, with Regulus. <laughs> so cool. So um, uh, right before Venus goes into Virgo, and the uh, Regulus was actually starting to be overlaid by Virgo, the seasonal sign of Virgos. The, the signs are seasonal at the end of November, 2011. And that was the first, you know, that, that meant that the, that ended the uh, 2,160 years or however many years it was of Leo, the seasonal sign of Leo overlaying the heart star. So there was a big shift in consciousness and awareness that happened and, you know, that got seeded at that particular time is gonna be playing out over the next couple thousand years. So now with, with Venus going retrograde right at that zero Virgo point on August, I mean on July 25th, that's so significant. It's very important and it's right there with, with Regulus. Um, so, that, to, so to me what happens is when Venus goes retrograde, that is the final synthesis that from her retrograde point to her morning star rising point, which will happen on August 22nd, there is a big synthesis of the current cycle, the Capricorn or cycle. And there's a preparation for the next cycle mm -hmm. that's happening. So those the, they kind of overlap a little bit, like a you know there's a um, synthesis and completion and a little bit of a you know, preparing or gestation or getting ready for the new cycle that's happening. So we're in a very exciting time in the Venus cycle right now, uh, and there will be the July 18th is an eighth gate, uh, and I, I like to think of it as the ascension gate. Um, you know, because Venus has reclaimed all her chakras, and there's an eighth chakra. Um, some people would say the eighth chakra is uh, the opportunity for us to learn how to enjoy our creation, that we've been so busy creating through the first seven chakras that uh, we maybe haven't taken the time to really enjoy what we've created. So the eighth chakra could be that, which I like that imagery a lot. But, you know, we can tune in and see how it really works for us and what it's yes. done for us. Yes. Yeah. So, any other questions you have? Um, well, do you think this deepening, because I experience this as a deepening of the feminine uh, that's happening in our awareness, in our consciousness, that's, mm -hmm. you know, there's some of us that are more attuned and sort of the, the, on the leading edge with feeling these energies 
being rebirthed at this time. But do you think this is also happening, you know, in the male psyche as well as the female psyche? That is a great question. So from um, the way that we work with it in shamanic astrology is we see that Venus is the divine feminine. And for women, where Venus is on your chart, and also where she is in the uh, Venus story, gives us information about the aspect of the feminine that you're here to help um, evolve, to you know, to explore and to um, uh, express that expression of the of the feminine, the divine feminine. And there's and so there's at least twelve different expressions with many variations, of course, on each of those. And uh, we've lived in a culture that has seen certain feminine expressions as more yin, like the Pisces, Cancer, Libra, the ones that are all about being in partnership and relationship and having children and taking, you know, being the nurse or the caretaker or the one that nurtures and takes care of. But there's very um, powerful solar feminine. So those, those ones I just mentioned are more lunar feminine. But there's these solar feminine archetypes. And Leo is so solar feminine. I mean, this is, uh, Sekhmet wears the sun disc on her head. She wears the sun on her head. She is a solar goddess. There is no question about it. <laughs> so um, if we think about that, this this um, new cycle is very much an enlivening of the solar feminine. And for men, the Venus, where Venus is on their chart and how they uh, relate to that is their inner feminine, the inner other, the, the you know, because we all, the women have an inner masculine and men have an inner feminine. And, and Mars on a woman's chart will represent her inner masculine and Venus on a man's chart will represent his inner feminine. So if he's going, if a man is going through their Venus return right now, this is extraordinarily important time for them to be tuning into and working with this particular cycle as a way to empower their relationship to the inner feminine within them, which of course then empowers their relationship to the external feminine as well. Did that answer your question? Yes. Yes. <laughs> so, um, uh, one other thing I was wondering about is, are there any notable differences then for the men and women for how to work with the Venus energies? Yeah, that's something that we're still kind of investigating. And we had some men in our Venus return, I mean, our Venus teleclass cycle over this last year and a half. And they had very profound experiences, uh, incredibly profound experiences. And I think it was, um, you know, they because they were doing the same thing that the women were doing in terms of working with the cycle, but thinking of it more from the perspective of the relationship to the inner beloved or the inner feminine within them, uh, and um, the you know how this is this is an aspect within us within the within a man for a man on a man you know like if it's the woman it's their inner masculine but either one is they support you always. They've always got your back and they, and they can help guide you when you develop a stronger relationship with that part of yourself, mm -hmm. they'll, they'll, they're there to help support you and guide you through your journey. Um, so it's very empowering and, and very po powerful um, to work with the cycle. And I think we're, you know, the, I don't think that Sumerians made it a, a, a difference, you know, that they, that they had women do it one way and men do it a different way. I think they did it as a collective journey and so that's kind of what we've done, and it seems to have worked really well. So. Okay. So um, this is kind of off the topic of the, the new Venus cycle, but 
I was wondering, uh, this month, July, there are two full moons, and this is a calendar month here yes. in July. So from a shamanic perspective, is this considered a blue moon? No. <laughs> Short answer, no. Uh, so, so explain what from your perspective. I, I well, thought not, but I just wanted to hear. <laughs> well, because our calendar is not connected to a lunar cycle or a solar cycle. It's just our arbitrarily starts on January 1st. And it's not really connected to a solstice or an equinox or to a full moon or a new moon. Like some calendars, like the Jewish calendar and the Muslim calendar, start with the when there's tiny crescent moon is visible at a certain time of year or certain, you know, in a certain certain phase or a certain place within their how they determine their calendar. Um, and we don't do that. And that means that things are shifting all the time. We have a solar calendar that is accurate for, you know within minutes for 3,000 years. It doesn't shift or drift, which was something that, that uh, the Catholic Church actually wanted Copernicus to figure out. And so he figured it out, how to do that. And then Pope Gregory is the one that instituted it. But he, but he had to tell them that uh, uh, it was unfortunate that what he discovered was that the sun, the earth is not the center of the universe, that the earth goes around the sun. So they made him promise not to tell. And so he didn't tell while he was alive because, you know, they had the Inquisition in those days. So he didn't tell until he died and then he had a book published that told. <laughs> that, that Because the church didn't want to look like they had it wrong. Anyway, so it's kind of interesting um, how that works. So, uh, so, that, so having two full moons in a month is simply due to the fact that we have this uh, calendar that's, you know, been set up in a certain way. And uh, two full moons in a, um, in a same sign, you can have two full moons in the same sign. So like if you have a full moon at zero degrees um, Capricorn, like we have a full moon happening right now, and then we had another full moon at zero degree, uh, 29 degrees Capricorn, that's pretty interesting to pay attention to because it doesn't usually work that way. Mm -hmm. um, and then also the original meaning of the blue moon um, as written by uh, Astronomy Magazine back in the 1940s was when there were four full moons in a season, meaning from an equinox to a solstice or a solstice to an equinox. So if, if, then that would happen when there was a full moon right at the equinox or solstice point. So if they, that happened, then you'd have four of them before the next season. Usually there's three. So that was the original meaning of a blue moon. And then, of course, somebody just translated that to two full moons in a month. Yes. Yeah. Yes. But, you know, it's still interesting to note the two full moons and, and to honor the, anytime we honor the full moon and are with the full moon, uh, it's, it's worth um, being with in a ceremonial way and to, you know, see what the information and, and the intentions are that we want to be um, energizing at that particular time. Okay. okay. So, yeah. um, I, there was, I noticed a question here in the chat screen. Um, uh, looks like Karen uh, Salvador is asking, um, she says, I won't be in my Venus return for this next one, but I have so much Leo in my chart, Moon, Venus, Mars, Pluto, Jupiter, Vesta, that, <laughs> <laughs> that's quite a bit, uh, that I wonder if it would help me to go through this class. So do you want to talk a little bit more? about yeah, you know absolutely. this might be appropriate for this class that you it's a perfect segue into the next thing i wanted to talk about <laughs> so the this upcoming teleclass which will start in september um right before the first venus moon conjunction 
And then we'll be doing this little segment journey as well, but uh, that, that's sort of an optional thing that people can maybe join us to do. But this um, this teleclass is for you if you're if you're entering your eight year Venus return. But also if you have a lot of Leo on your chart, absolutely um, very helpful. And if you're desiring to learn um, or to experience a deeper sense of self love, your personal sovereignty as an expression of the divine feminine that is you, that's within you, whatever that might look like this definitely would be worth that. And if you really are interested in having the support of the ceremonial community, and we're, we're, what we're seeing that we're doing with this class is as a, um, it's a ceremony, it's, you know, we're working with the ceremonially, also you know, teaching about the, the cycle and holding space for each person's individual experience as well as what we're doing collectively. So we're connecting into that ancient ceremonial practice of working with it collectively. And we've updated it for current times and made it a teleclass so it was easy for people from all over the world to join in with us. And we had so we had such a great response to the first one. We just and people started asking us, "Are you going to do the next one?" <laughs> We're like, "Yes, we are," because each one has a different flavor and a different um, experience that will be connected to it. So, um, so how many times have you done this? Uh, well, this was this last one was the very first time we did it. Okay. And we had such a great response that we decided uh, that, you know, we're on to something here. People really love this. It's been really helpful for them. Lots of transformation. We just finished a, an event at Faywood where we gave everybody a crown, at, you know, Venus retrieving the crown um, at the seventh gate in the evening right. with Jupiter and and uh, Regulus. So we did a, a big ceremony too um, uh, for the people that could make it in person. And we created an online ceremony for people that couldn't uh, make it in person. So it's fantastic, like a real initiation, you know, where you're releasing anything that's holding you back or any blocks or any ways that you are um, undermining self-sabotage or right. so that you're in integrity with yourself and you, you're going into the shadow land. You're facing your, you know, the shadow, you're healing the shadow, you're doing deep shadow work. Absolutely. And coming out in your full radiance. I would, you know, I mean, this is an ongoing journey, the whole, you know, deepening in your, and um, since you have all these other women, is it women and men in the class? We have had men also in our classes. We've had more women, but I think, I think that as the men catch on, they'll find out that this could be a really cool thing for them to do and we'll have more men. Um, the men that were in the class, I think, had, got, had really profound experiences. So, um, Hopefully, we'll have more men. <laughs> We'd love yeah, to have I would think that it really helped you, you know, with empowerment and self-esteem issues, right. self-worth issues. And also, I started to say, you know, having the community, uh, because there's a lot of power in having a witness to your journey. And yes, witness, being witnessed and also shared intention, because, of course, when we have shared intention, it exponentially increases that intention. So um, when you have people helping hold a similar intention with you it is it's really amazing so if yeah. people want to know more about this we're, we're just getting we're still this website's kind of under construction it's called venusalchemy.com tammy and i decided to dedicate a website to this process and we're just in the process of building it but if you go to that website you can uh, click on the link that'll take you to the information about the class and we're still building that but there is information there and basically it's a one class a month um during the Venus cycle, for the for the for the as she's going through all the gates, and then one class for when she's in the underworld, um, as well. So uh, 
It's and, true. And so you're, this one is going to be with Sekhmet? Yeah, Leo, Overtone, so working with the Divine Sovereign Queen. Uh, so however, you know, and Sekhmet is, she's one of, she's definitely one of my personal um, goddesses that I've connected with hugely over the years. And I, and so I feel like she's definitely going to be guiding us through this particular process. So, well, tell us a little bit, do you mind telling us a little bit more about Sekhmet? <laughs> she's pretty wild. I mean, when uh, the Egyptologists started to figure out what her story was, they, um, they didn't want to tell people because it was so like, kind of, you know, they didn't see the feminine in this way. But uh, the, there's, there's a story that's connected to her. And this is not her whole story because Sekhmet was actually um, the divine consort of Ptah. And Ptah is the master builder. And together they had a son named Nefertum. And Nefertum is the precursor or, you know, like the, uh, the Egyptian version or the Greeks had their version of Nefertum, which was Asclepius, the healer. So out of the, the divine union between Sekhmet and Ptah came Nefertum, who was... Uh, a healer like Asclepius, but her story. One of the stories that is told about her is that um, Ra, the, the sun god, she's the daughter of Ra, is looking down upon the people, and they're no longer keeping the sacred ways, and they've got they've fallen into bad habits, <laughs> not good ways of being with each other. So he sends her to sort of straighten things out, um, and so she goes down, but she's so fierce. And she just starts dispatching everybody, just gobbling them up, like, you know, uh, she's because she's this lioness who comes to earth and so fierce. And uh, and then Ross says, okay, I think that's good enough. You can come back now. <laughs> but she won't come back. He's, she's like on a mission. She's not going to give up. So he, he's like, oh, gosh, now what do I do? So she, he goes to the other gods and um, asks, you know, they, they come up with a plan. And basically the plan is they take pomegranate juice and, and um, crush it up and put it in beer and put that on the battlefield. And when she stops to drink it, thinking it's blood, because she likes to drink blood apparently, uh, then she gets so drunk she passes out. And when she wakes up, she's Hathor. She's transformed into the goddess Hathor. So that's just a very interesting story about Sekhmet. But again, that's not all that she is. And there are actually Sekhmet priestesses and uh, there's a, there are Sekhmet temples all over Egypt. There's one at uh, Karnak, and I got to see, and there's actually still a Sekhmet um, statue there. That's one of the original statues that hasn't been moved to a museum or someplace. Mm -hmm. um, that's incredible. It's, I mean, I, I stood in front of her and tr just cried um, because she's just just this beautiful, powerful um, radiance and presence and authentic and a being who, and her beauty and her integrity, and I just love her. <laughs> so... Yeah, I, well, it's interesting that, um, you know, I mean, there's, I think, you know, one, I was just listening to this uh, YouTube with uh, President, uh, former President Jimmy Carter, uh, and he said the number one abuse was, you know, in the world is with women yes. and, and children, and the number one country uh, that, you know, there's like just horrendous things that go on with women is Egypt. Yes. And uh, so I just think it's interesting that um, <laughs> I just wonder about that. I just wonder what kind of, uh, I don't know. I just think things eventually balance themselves out when there has been um, uh, 
you know, when the sacredness of the divine feminine has been dishonored for so long, I think that there's not human balancing out, but divine justice, you know, that is. Yes. I love what you're saying. I feel like with Jupiter, you know, witness to Venus at this time, as she ends and begins a new cycle, you know, and as she's come and she's coming into, you know, as she's been coming into her sovereignty and reclaiming that wisdom aspect of the feminine as grandmother mm-hmm. that we've been in this last cycle that's going to complete um, as we move into the next cycle. And then as she stands in her divine sovereignty in a place of self-love, self-acceptance, self-approval, self-respect, all these things that are going to be so much a part of this next cycle that she's going to be um, working on re-empowering herself with. Uh, and yeah, I, I just wonder what's going to happen. I, I mean, because I've just intuited that there's going to be a total resurgence. I mean, I'm just, I'm intuiting that something is going to be really happening that is going to shift, create a shift. What that looks like or how that comes about or, you know, the con- consciousness, the whole, uh, I just think something right. something is going to actually materialize as far as of yeah. rebalancing you're it's a really great point and what will it take and so you know it could be easier it could be harder i think a lot of it depends on maybe where we're at you know in the collective consciousness and exactly what it's the collective it's where and i think we're in that deciding point right now from my perspective yes uh, which way it's going to go i think by this fall we'll, we'll know what we're going to choose as a collective uh, yeah, you know, and I think, and we're probably at a choice point all the time, but, you know, yes. some, some choice points. Yes, but I think good. as far as the balance, as far as the collective, yes. yes, I think it's pretty split. So as much as we can do personally to be yes. in greater touch with the divine feminine, whether we are um, getting in touch with that aspect that's within us, or what we're here to really connect with, or if we're men, you know, really honoring the divine feminine within ourselves, then then that helps the collective. Yes. uh, Because we're putting that energy into the greater collective. So the more of us doing that, the better. I think it's more powerful, actually. Consciousness has much more power. The light has much more power. Yes. uh, To affect a change. It doesn't doesn't require as much, uh, really, you know. Uh, to to uh, create a shift, mm-hmm. so um, so someone here is uh, I think it's Sally Leathers. Uh, her birth date is August twenty second. She's a twenty nine degree Leo Sun, and she's wondering what significance uh, this will have pertaining uh, to this cycle, even though it is not a Venus return for her. Right. So, so this is kind of something we were just talking about a little while ago that. Um, that if you have, you know, Leo on your chart, and and at twenty nine Leo, that's like with Regulus, the sun exactly. was yes, absolutely with Regulus at the time you were born, and so now with Jupiter passing this point, Venus is going to pass it three times, so uh, definitely very personally activating for you, and worth you know finding ways to connect with this, and whether it's on your own or whether you wanted to be part of the Venus Teleclass and work with this cycle over the over time. Uh, one of the things I always think that's really great about working with it, I always worked with the Venus cycles prior to doing this with, with the one, I'm Venus and Aries, so when there's an Aries overtone, I was always working with it. And then um, um, when it was my own overtone, I was I would work with it. 
but now I'm seeing there's a lot of value to working with it if you if it has other um, you know you have other connections to that particular archetypal energy but also anybody can benefit from working with the mysteries of self-love mm -hmm. and self-confidence and self-approval and self-acceptance because that's something so missing off the planet right now so whether you had that or not you can benefit from working with this particular cycle and and just because of the way things are stacking up in the sky right now just even going out and seeing venus and jupiter and regulus together can yes. be very profound experience. Yes. yes i love to i love to soak up the energies of the night skies you know and to focus yeah. on the certain you know, I've been really uh, drinking in Ju Jupiter and Venus and when it, they all were conjunct with the moon, uh, you know, right after that last new moon, it was just right. very, uh, very powerful, very, you know, it just really, I feel empowered. Right. It, uh, it connects and activates that energy within my own psyche for me. So, yes. Yes, that's exactly right, and that and that's something that ancient people knew, and that's why they worked with it, and that's something we can remember and we can work with and benefit from. So it's beautiful that you said that. Yeah. So, so here's another Claudette Thomas. Uh, she wants to know if we look at the Venus cycle as a micro cycle, is there a macro cycle that Venus goes through relating to the elliptic? Regulus and the return of the divine feminine. This comes to mind being that the Maya and others chart, charted Venus and the larger cycles. Yes, and that I, I did sort of speak to this a little bit, but it's, this is a great question. Um, so the Sumerians were honoring the Venus cycle when Venus rose as a morning star near the spring equinox. And the reason that was, was because uh, the spring equinox, the sun was rising on the galactic cross at the galactic edge 6,500 years ago. Now the spring equinox is um, at the South Galactic Pole 6,500 years later, and it's the December solstice or the, um, cap, you know, when the solstice reaches zero Capricorn, rising on the galactic cross at the galactic center. Uh, that is really the big news right now. Like this is what tells us we're at a big turning of an age. It's not just moving from the age of Aquarius, uh, age of Pisces to the age of Aquarius. It's a whole uh, great year shift. Uh, bigger, you know, 26,000 year shift, not like a 2000 year shift. It's way bigger than that. And so the uh, Venus cycle that rises, the Venus rising closest to the December solstice, which happened in January of 2014, that's the cycle that we would work with, that the Sumerians would have worked with if that had been the situation then. So that was part of what inspired us to create uh, a way of working with it collectively, you know, to make a collective process that people could work with. And it worked so well that we went through we decided well, we're just going to keep doing it <laughs> because it's so powerful and, so, and and really helpful for people to to stay connected. And the other thing about this, what's happening right now too, like the whole point with Regulus, you know, and we're shifting from one cycle to the other, and how Regulus is such a big part of that. Regulus just changed from being in Leo for over two thousand years to being now in Virgo for the next more than two thousand years. Uh, so there's been a huge um, shift in the archetypal energy that's connected to Regulus. And so um, so this particular Venus cycle is, it's like that's part of what we're going to be investigating. What does that mean? You know, how, how do we relate to that now? What is, the, what, what's, what is the intention and how can we align our intention with that intention? Um, yes. 
So that'll be yeah, really. I think there's a shift in the archetypal, the way the archetypes are constellating and how they're, how, how we're interpreting them and how we're uh, expressing them in our lives. Yes. Yeah. Yes. So, so yeah, I think it's tremendously significant that we've had this fixed wealth star, Regulus, it, which is the, like the fixed wealth star. Well, and it was <laughs> of all the fixed stars, you know, Regulus right. is probably the it's one probably, that's, and it's, it's also uh, the uh, Archangel uh, Raphael is right. associated with uh, uh, that position in the heavens as the as the protector there and the watcher over that part of the heaven she is the angel of healing the you know primary angel of healing so which and really fits regulus, with the virgo regulus is one of the four royal stars of ancient times mm -hmm. and so we have aldebaran antares regulus and and Fomalhaut, all connected to the archangels of course and the yes. different directions and and what they were watching over but also um the well i with the exception of maybe Fomalhaut, they're all Bohemian stars too, those magical stars that the alchemists were working with mm -hmm. as well. So it's really, um, you know, it's just like we live in magical times, right? Yes, when we're, yes. and this is the year, I think this is the year of alchemy where there can be quite a bit, you know, the magic, the miracles. Um, it's, you know, having a, recognizing that about yourself, that your ability to, make magic you have to recognize yourself you have to step into your own empowerment no one else is going to do that you're the one that has to step into your power into your own greatness it's always our choice and so it's it's time for us to make that choice and if we do make that choice we'll be supported you yes know, so much we're always supported whatever we decide for ourselves we will you know will be right <laughs> whatever we decide <laughs> yes. some things yeah. will be more fun than others <laughs> some are definitely more fun than others so and not that it, you don't it, not that you know uh you know the the ego the lower mind really w wants to doesn't really want you to be empowered it wants to maintain that through using fear and keeping you in the grips of fear keeping you more you know in a lower level of manifesting right uh, so that you're you know seemingly safe but really when you do that it, you're actually more in jeopardy when you don't really step into your truth into your your full empowerment so um so there's another question robin barrows um she's asking is having a natal venus at 21 degrees leo significant at this time Absolutely. You are so like on the leading edge of everything that's going on, very profound um, activations that are taking place with that and uh, definitely worth knowing about and tuning into and uh, just, you know, everybody will have their own guidance as how to work with this. Uh, so tuning into that and paying attention, going out and being with Venus in the sky right now. In fact, 21 Leo is right where Venus and Jupiter are right now today, as I, if I'm not Yes, mistaken. they're conjunct. And then that's exactly where Mars and uh, Venus conjunct. Did you know that? Yes, 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 exactly. So the same point that Jupiter and Venus kiss is exactly where Mars and Venus will kiss. And then, of course, we have later this fall, Mars and Venus will kiss again. I mean, it's very unusual, the things that are 
<laughs> happening. It's just very <laughs> significant. It is so magical. It really is. And <laughs> Venus and Mars, whole other story about their journey and how they, there's mythic stories that talk about how they come together in the sky. <laughs> and, um, sorry, uh, Dumuzi, who is Anana's consort, is the one that gets sent to the underworld after she comes back. I didn't finish the whole story there. And that um, they come together and meet. And then Mar uh, our Mars is just coming up from the underworld, actually right now in August. <coughs> so they're going to have this long dance together in the morning sky. But, but in February of last year, Venus and Mars met. And then Mars went right into the underworld. Like yes. they were for a short time and then Mars went into yes. the underworld. This is this, you know, part of this story of um, Anana saying, okay, I'm, you know, I'm returning and it's now it's your turn. Now it's your turn to go through this initiation. <laughs> so the masculine is currently, as we, you know, go through the month of July, still in that initiation process with the sun in the underworld. Yes. Yeah. So, yes. I mean, it's just a whole big lineup and setup of one thing. It's like dominoes. Yes. Beautiful. How everything is just lined, set up and lined up at this time for activating these changes. I mean, we have a choice, but definitely the scene is set for us to, we're being, things are being <laughs> lined up so that, you know, we're really being guided in a way that we will make the optimal choice, hopefully. So, right. So um, anyway, is there anything else? Let's see. Um, well, I just wanted to say really quickly that I did put in um, the books, Anana, Queen of Heaven and Earth, Her Stories and Hymns from Sumer by Diane Wolfstein and Samuel Kramer. Uh -huh. uh, if you can get, there's um, also Descent to the Goddess of Way of Initiation by, for Women by Sylvia Pereira that also describes the story not so much from the astrological point of view neither of these do from the house but it gives you more of the in-depth experience of the story and you can get the descent story online you can actually just um, probably google it and find it but i just wanted people to know that and if they want to if people want to find me they can go to my website either kaylincastell.com or celestialtimings.com and i will make this pdf available if they sign up for free celestial timings um i have to get that done as soon as we get, we get off here, but I will make it available. When they sign up, they'll get a link to, or um, access to the PDF for yes. uh, for that if they're interested. Uh, I see one more question. I don't know if you want to answer this. Uh, you want to take off the slideshow and we can... Um... Yeah, I'm going to do that here. Okay. Okay, how's that? <laughs> can you I'm see me now? I'm not seeing you yet. No, not yet. Okay, no I'm not yet. There you are. Oh, yay. Welcome okay. back. So, yay, so, um, so Symbol System is asking, what do you think about the fact that this Venus retrograde cycle takes place on the Sphinx cusp? That, well, yes. I mean, I think we've been kind of talking about that, but, but you know, the, the lion in the sky, the, um, uh, the constellation that is the lion in the sky is reflected as the sphinx on the ground, you know, as above, so below. And that was one of the ways the Egyptians were connecting with that. And interestingly, the sphinx is about the Hall of Records. And um, so my sense of that is not, it's not just the, like a literal Hall of Records. Maybe we, you know, um, we'll find a literal Hall of Records that they've been, there's lots of information that says that maybe we already have, but 
there's, I feel like that is connects to the hall of records that's in our DNA. Mm-hmm. So we have, we have the records within us there. They live inside of us. So this all this activity happening with Regulus, the Sphinx point is activating our own hall of records that we mm-hmm. can. And that's one of the ways we can work with this ceremonially as uh, with that intention and, and, you know, um, activation within our own, um, awareness on, and, and, uh, um, ceremonial intent. So, yeah. That's very powerful. Yes. I mean, it's just gives you goose flesh when you start really <laughs> thinking about all the things that are uh, being integrated at this time. So, yeah. all right. So that's it for today's show. Uh, thank you for joining us for this uh, episode of Conversations to Enlighten and Heal. My next webinar show is on Wednesday, July 29th with Mo Abdobaki, who will talk about Venus retrograde from the perspective of Vedic astrology and Tarot. Have a beautiful day, everyone. A warm mahalo. Much love to you. Wishing you happy days always. Thanks again, Kaylin. It's been a pleasure having you with us. My, my total pleasure, and thank you for inviting me. I love sharing this. So until next time, relax, enjoy your life, and stay connected. <laughs>